When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 264, and today we are talking about books being released on June 16th, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tirza Price, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Hello, Tirza. Hi, how are you? Whew, what a week. I hear that. <laughs> Another week. <laughs> it just never stops, but hey, that's okay. Yeah, we've got books, so that's good. <laughs> yes. I would just quickly like to say thank you to everybody who reached out to me with all your kind words. Apparently, I must have sounded really despondent last week, like more than I meant to, because so many nice people reached out to me to say, hey, I hope you're okay and everything is okay. Yes, I am okay and everything is okay. Uh, Just some horrible life stuff that happens and it's all getting better. I'm sick this week, though. I don't know what is going on. But as soon as we finish this, I'm getting into bed for like the next three days. (laughs) That sounds like a solid plan. Yeah, I've cleared my schedule. I'm like, I'm just going to rest, take it easy, watch the baby woodchucks run around. They're so cute. (laughs) They are so cute. They moved to a different location, probably because the weirdo lady that lives in the house kept coming out and standing near the entrance to their burrow and staring at them. (laughs) So now they're like at the back of our lawn, like far away. But like you see them running around. They're so fast. They move so fast, like little potatoes with legs, and they just zip all around. It's pretty hilarious. And we've had all kinds of amazing birds at our feeder, like in the last couple weeks that we've never seen before. Like there was a red-winged blackbird. And like a brown-headed cow bird. I feel like I'm making that up, but I think it's real. Oh, interesting. But I'm like, is it how now brown-headed cow (laughs) bird? I don't know. But just like this black bird and his head is brown and it's exactly (laughs) as advertised. And it's beautiful. It's been all kinds of great birds and plants and little animals. And I don't know. What are things like in Michigan? Oh, it's this is a great time of year. I love it when like things finally get really green and they're like that really vibrant, vibrant green. I don't have any adorable little lawn bears like you, but um, the squirrels have definitely enjoyed hanging out outside our house and mercilessly (laughs) teasing the cat and the dog, which is always entertaining. But I have a little like garden and pots outside our side stoop. We don't have a yard, unfortunately, but. My little garden, um, I have beans and tomatoes and like kale and they are just exploding this time of year. So I like it. Fall is actually my favorite season, but like this time of year is pretty great too. Yeah. I hate that like the flowers don't stay out year round. Like, yeah, that bums me out. And also I always, my, my boyfriend takes me to the greenhouse and he's like, pick out some plants. And I always pick out like the flowering plants that only last one year. And then don't come back. I'm always like, but, 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 come back. You're so pretty. Those are the ones that I want. And I was like, why can't you do this every year? Why do you have to be like that? 
But I don't know. I got some amazing flowering plant. I can't remember the name right now. It's like Lantana or Ladana, something like that. Lantana, Lantana, I think. They're like these like Fruit Loop colored little flowers, and they grow in like little bunches, and they're so cute. But they only last one year. I'm very sad, but I'm like, "Hmm, I'm gonna give you a shot anyway. Maybe one of them will surprise me one of these times. I don't know. That would be great. Yeah. Yes. So, all right, let's see. We talked about plants and animals. Now we're going to talk about a different noun, but we're going to talk about (laughs) books. But first, we're going to hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle. Walk, Ride, Paddle is a captivating memoir of Senator Tim Kaine's physical journey through the Virginia wilderness, but it is also a unique and ultimately optimistic perspective on these pivotal moments in history, offering inspiration, wisdom, and hope. With immediacy and honesty, Kane pulls back the curtain to reveal his inner thoughts during such monumental times. And Kane's storytelling gift and wise observations offer a fascinating glimpse into the mind of a seasoned politician and outdoor enthusiast. Walk, Ride, Paddle is available everywhere audiobooks are sold on April 9th. It is narrated and written by Tim Kaine, Virginia senator and former Democratic vice presidential candidate. It's a compelling account of one man's journey across hundreds of miles of Virginia wilderness and a moving testament to the optimistic spirit of America. So make sure to check out Walk, Ride, Paddle by Tim Kaine. And thanks again to Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest-paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so moving on to books. My first pick is an amazing, amazing debut. It's called Saving Ruby King by Catherine Adele West. And it's just fantastic. It centers around this one family and their relations and their friends in an African-American community in Chicago on the south side. Ruby King, she of the title is 24. She works at a law office. She still lives at home. She was living with her mother and her father. Her father is abusive. Uh, Before I continue, I want to mention that I'm going to be discussing abuse and also mentioning suicide in this description. So if that's something that you are sensitive to and you want to skip ahead, I just want to give you a heads up. So Ruby King, she was living at home with her mother and her father, who is very abusive towards her and her mother. But when the book opens, uh, the prologue is Ruby's mother, Alice. Alice is talking about she's leaving the church and she's heading home and she's talking about 
some things in her life and things that are important to her and her faith. And then when the first chapter opens, we find out that when Alice got home from church that night, someone killed her in her own home. And the police have no interest, really, in finding out who it is. They think, you know, this African-American woman has been killed and they're just not interested, which is pretty indicative of what happens around in their neighborhood in general pertaining to crime and the police. And Ruby is, you know, she doesn't know who did it. You know, a lot of people think it was her father. And Ruby is having a really hard time dealing with this because now she's left at home with her father, who is, like I said, physically violent. And she has had some problems in the past. She has attempted suicide before. Uh, and so she's she's feeling very vulnerable, but she doesn't want to talk about it. And the first chapter is narrated by her, but then it is narrated by several characters as the story goes on, including the church itself. There is a chapter where the church talks about being a building and the people inside it. And it's wildly interesting. And so we also hear from Layla, who is Ruby's best friend. And she's very worried about Ruby, and Ruby doesn't want to talk to her. We hear from Jackson, uh, who is Layla's father and the reverend at the church where they attend. Lebanon is Ruby's father. We hear his story. He goes to visit his mother, Sarah, who is dying of cancer. And we find out about, like, this cycle of abuse that took place in the family. Her father abused her. She, in turn, abused her son. Her son, like I said, abused Ruby. And it's a look at, like, generational violence in in the family. There's also this secret pertaining to, like, his mother and Alice's mother and Jackson the Reverend's mother. Like, they were all friends, you know, many years before. And there's this sort of, like, secret in the family that, that nobody knows. It's so, like, interesting that the characters are fully drawn and... I was so invested in everything that was happening in this story. You know, it's a fantastic story of friendship and family, generational trauma, you know, abuse, secrets, racism. You know, like we hear about the daily oppression and fear that these characters experience in their own neighborhood, like what it's like to just go about their day, you know, being afraid. We also, you know, are wondering, like, who killed Alice? Uh, And, you know, we find that out. It's just, it was such a fantastic debut i could not put it down and you know i actually when i read it a few months ago i thought this would be an oprah pick but we haven't heard anything we usually hear things like around like release time but i don't know this just like has oprah pick written all over it it would be a great book club book it's a lot to discuss Uh, it is saving ruby king by Catherine adele west that sounds amazing So, okay, my first pick is Vera Kelly is Not a Mystery by Rosalie Necht. And it's actually a sequel to Who is Vera Kelly, which is one of my favorite, favorite books from a couple of years ago. Um, So if you haven't read the first book, like, I would highly recommend that you do so. So I'll give you, like, a little quick spoiler-free overview. So in Who is Vera Kelly, you find out that Vera is a young woman in her 20s, and she is working for the CIA. And it's like 1966 or 1967. And she is on this super secret mission in Buenos Aires. And She's just hanging out there transcribing a lot of wiretaps and it's like her mission to be undercover as an international student and try to get close to some more um, radical student types. And so she's there when this political coup 
overthrows the government and, you know, officially, technically, like the CIA has to like retreat and all United States ambassadors and emissaries, like they have to leave the country. But when this coup happens, they basically like leave her there because she's undercover. So she's stranded in Buenos Aires and it's this brand new government and the city's all uncertain. And she basically has to figure out how to get herself out of the country without any backup. So the sequel, Vera Kelly is Not a Mystery, takes place after that. And in the sequel, Vera has left the CIA and she is living in New York City. And one other thing, Vera is also a lesbian, which is one of the reasons why I was initially kind of attracted to this series, because it's like lesbian, 1960s, CIA, those three things don't always go together. Um, So this is really, really great series because of that element as well. So she has just been broken up with and um, she's fired from her job because her coworker kind of surreptitiously sneaky finds out that she's a lesbian and he totally tells on her and of course that's a firing offense in the 1960s so she's fired she has just been broken up with she has like almost no money left and she has no job references and she's out of options so she decides to put her counterintelligence training to good use and she sets up shop as a pi And so the first, you know, few cases she has are really, like, ho-hum, boring. And she even has to, like, hustle to get people to believe that, like, a woman is capable of being a PI, which really stinks. But then this Dominican couple come to her office one day and they ask her help finding their grandson. So apparently their grandson and their son and daughter-in-law were living in the Dominican Republic And then the grandson was sent to New York by his parents because they were somewhat influential in the DR and with the government. And then there was a coup and the country had a new president and they needed to get the boy away to safety because they knew that they would probably not be very popular in the new government and they might even be in danger. So Vera is definitely intrigued and it's like a good case with good money. So she takes it on. But then when she starts really digging into it, she finds out that there's like so so much more to this case than first um, appeared it's not just a simple missing persons case and so she really does then have to draw upon her old tactics as a spy to get to the bottom of what's going on and figure out you know where's this boy and can he you know how do we keep him safe so i love vera kelly so much I really just enjoyed reading about a queer woman in the 1960s. And, you know, so it's important to note that this is like right before like the women's right movement really took off and it's right before Stonewall. So her life is like really dangerous and precarious in a lot of ways, like both abroad and at home in New York City. And she's, you know, really making it work. I also really appreciate that in both of these books, the author gives us kind of like a mystery political spy thriller that involves countries that aren't the Soviet Union. Because if you hear like 20th century spy mystery, I think everyone's like, oh, the Soviets. But in fact, the US was doing a lot of horrible meddling in South America and in a lot of, you know, those island countries towards our South. And they were making a lot of mad grabs for power and supporting a lot of bad people. So I just appreciate that this is a book that looks at the espionage landscape from like that perspective. The other great thing about this book and the series in general is that 
they're not like horribly violent or dark. Like Vera definitely gets into some scrapes and there's there's some real like tense scenes. But if you want spy mysteries without any like sexual assault, no torture, no maiming, like these are a good series because they're believably like high stakes and they have good action, but they also don't get like too dark. I don't know if anybody ever saw Oh, I'm blanking on the title, but there was a spy book that was made into a movie starring Jennifer Lawrence, and that one, like, it scarred me. It was it was way too dark for me. This is, like, the opposite of that. Oh, the Red Sparrow. Red Sparrow. Gosh, no. <laughs> I, I couldn't do it. So, and it's also a little bit more about, like, Vera's life and her personality, which I like more than, like, oh, this is the spy's life, Vera. It's, like, Vera just trying to get by. So, um, I say that it's a series. I hope that's true. I hope that there are more Vera Kelly books because I think that they are fantastic. They're put out by Tin House Press, which um, is, you know, a little bit on the smaller side, but their books are always fantastic. So that is Vera Kelly is Not a Mystery, which is the sequel to Who is Vera Kelly by Rosalie Necht, and I highly recommend them. All right. My next pick is also a debut novel. It is The Lightness by Emily Temple. I know a tiny bit about Emily Temple, having read reviews in Flavorwire, and I believe she also writes uh, for other online publications. I've always enjoyed reading her lists, and now she has a book, and it's so good. If you like, let's see, if you like Bunny by Mona Awad, if you like Jenny Offal, if you like Otessa Moshfeg, if you like Renata Adler, this is a perfect book for you. It's about a teenager named Olivia. She's 16 years old, and she travels to a Buddhist retreat. They call it sort of like a Buddhist boot camp. It's called the Levitation Center. And a year earlier, her father went to visit the Levitation Center and never came back. He, like, disappeared. And now Olivia wants to go and see what happened and also you know she doesn't have a great relationship with her mom and she wants to get away from her and so she's taking this trip and we have the pleasure of hearing all of this told from adult olivia's point of view so that has a little perspective on it it's not like as it happens so she decides she's going to go to this retreat her mom is not happy that she's doing it but she doesn't care and so she goes and she meets all these kids, but these kids were already there before her. So they sort of have already made their cliques and made their friendships. And she just desperately wants to belong. And she kind of falls in with this group of mean girls who tell her that the only way to actually become a Buddhist, to actually achieve enlightenment is to literally learn how to levitate. Or I guess I just said to learn how to literally levitate. <laughs> and and also the only person who can teach her how to do this is the very handsome young gardener. And she she's like, she's going to believe them because this is what she wants. She wants to fit in and she wants, you know, something meaningful in her life. It's just so, it's dark. It can be uncomfortable at times, much like life is, much like being a teenager is. It's a little bit like you're, Reminded me a little bit of, like, Welcome to the Dollhouse, which is so old. I keep thinking that movie's new. It's so old. That movie's so old now. That reference is so stale. But it's like, Welcome to the Dollhouse meets the craft, kind of. There is a realness to her situation, to the way she reacts to things. You know, it's about relationships between 
kids and their parents. It's about desire. It's about abandonment. It's about teen friendships. And I was trying to think like the best way to describe how I felt reading this book. I I was practically levitating off my seat from like the first page because the writing in this book is so exquisite. It's just so sharp and cool, which is a weird thing to say, but that's how I felt. I felt like someone rubbed an alcohol swab over my brain while I was reading this book. Like just like that cool sensation that you get when someone rubs your arm before you get your shot. It's so fantastic. It's The Lightness, and it's by Emily Temple. Ooh. All right, so switching gears a little bit from that. <laughs> my next pick is I Was Told It Would Get Easier by Abby Waxman. And Abby Waxman is also the author of The Bookish Life of Nina Hill, which I thought was a lot of fun. I read that, I don't know, earlier this year, last fall. Um, it was super sweet, super light. And I guess I was expecting something a little bit along those lines. But this book was actually kind of different, which was totally cool. So it's about a single mom named Jessica who is taking her daughter, Emily, on this really swanky college tour. And by swanky, I mean, like, it's really fancy. Like, they pay a service to, like, start in D.C. and basically take them on this tour up the East Coast to New York, stopping off at colleges and, like, with a bunch of other teens. And they get, like, all this treatment and there's, like, special themed breakfasts and they really, they, they get to do all these cultural enriching activities so, like, totally the opposite of my college tour experience, which was, like, me, a minivan, my parents, and my little brothers. But this is pretty important to Jessica because she's a single mom and she's a lawyer, so she can kind of afford it, and she just really wants the best for her daughter. Um, and the book is also dual point of view. So most of it's in Jessica's perspective, and you really get into, like, her head of how she really wants the best for her daughter. But then some of it is also in Emily's perspective, and she's, like, 16 or 17, and she doesn't really know what she wants to do after high school, but she's pretty sure that she doesn't want to go to college. She would rather do a trade school. So even though her mom is, you know, the single woman who has always been single, had Emily on her own, um, has been pretty progressive and like fought her way tooth and nail through corporate law. Like Jessica thinks she's pretty progressive and open-minded, but she just has a really hard time accepting that like maybe her child doesn't want to go to college. So as they go on this trip, they're just like constantly misunderstanding each other. And it's kind of, you know, entertaining because you'll get a chapter from Jessica's perspective and you see how she feels about something. And then you see Emily's perspective and she you see how she's like totally on the opposite end. And like as the reader, you're like, oh my gosh, these two just need to sit down and talk. But of course, they're mother and daughter. So they're just going to argue for a little bit more. But what makes it interesting is as they embark on this trip, they each also have a secret that they're keeping from the other. And for Jessica, her secret is that right before they left on the trip, she quit her job in like a big show of support for some of the more junior lawyers at her firm because they're women and the firm's like senior partners have decided that like they're not going to promote those women this year because it might make them look bad for a very convoluted and stupid sexist reason and Jessica's like hey that's wrong if you don't hire or promote these women then like I'm quitting and they kind of call her bluff and so she actually quits so that is Jessica's secret that she has kept from her daughter 
And as for Emily's secret, I think you'll just have to read and find out what that is because I don't want to spoil it for you. But I like this book. It was funny. It looked at some interesting intergenerational struggles and like a lot of the pressures that teens feel to get good grades and just like have amazing extracurriculars and have passions and basically like know what they want to do from the age of 16 and get into good college. But it also like shows the sort of bonkers pressure that parents put on themselves for like their kids to be successful and you know do certain things you know because they get gratification out of it which is a little bit weird how they they define themselves via their kids but yeah it was it was a quick read um i read it on audio it was great the um narrator was awesome i enjoyed it a lot even though it was like very far removed from my own personal like life and college experiences it just moved really quickly So that is I Was Told It Would Get Easier by Abby Waxman. All right. I am going to take it back to sort of unlikable, dark, darkly funny stories. My next pick is Sad Janet by Lucy Britch. And I would have read this book no matter what it was called or no matter what you told me it was about because it has... It's like bright pink and it has a picture of a whippet wearing a sweater on the cover. Oh, it's like a doggy <laughs> sweater on a novel. I'm totally sold. Um, and also, every time I say the title, Sad Janet, I think of Janet on The Good Place Ugh. trying to emulate a human crying. I just keep seeing her going, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> Like, it just makes me laugh. And like that, you know, they say like, don't judge a book by its cover. But there are also things that, that draw you to things because it reminds you of other stuff. It's just like how your brain works. It's weird. So this is a good one for fans of unlikable characters and darkly humorous books. It is about, yes, Janet. Janet is a misanthrope. Janet is depressed. She wears black all the time and listens to the Smiths. She's like like a walking stereotype of somebody who is just mopey and goth and miserable, like everything you would see somebody write in a Hollywood script about, about someone. She doesn't really like her boyfriend. She doesn't really like her family. She doesn't like her coworkers at the dog shelter. Pretty much everything irritates her. She just wants to wear black and listen to the Smiths and stay home. She kind of reminds me of me. <laughs> except I like my coworkers and my boyfriend. But, she, you know, she basically just says she gets through her day trying, you know, not to murder everyone. Like, funny haha, not like serious. You know, she reminds me of somebody that would like have a bumper sticker on their car that said, the more people I meet, the more I like my dog. She's like the embodiment of that bumper sticker. And so now it's the holidays. The holidays are coming and Janet's family want to spend time with her, despite the fact that she is really unpleasant to be around. And because this is not quite the world that we live in, there has been a pill specifically created to make people like Christmas, like, which is just like the greatest like idea. I, when I read this in the description, I was like, that's so awesome. Um, so she decides to take it. She's like, mm. she's going to do this for her family. You take this pill and you're guaranteed to enjoy Christmas. Like all of a sudden, like Christmas is a great holiday and you're so excited about it. And I'm not going to tell you like what happens when she takes, you know, this pro Christmas pill. But I've said this already like 800 times, I think now, but I'm going to say it again because I don't know how else to describe it. It's darkly funny. It's dark. And it's funny. And it's darkly funny. It reminded me a bit of Treasure Island by Sarah Levine, which is a novel that I love, 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 which is no longer in print, which is a shame. Probably has one of the worst 
protagonist I've ever read. She's just awful, and yet it's such a hilarious book. Also, again, reminds me a lot of Otessa Moshfag, and it, I just really enjoy this. I, I hate saying, like, I don't think this one is for everyone, because not every book is for everyone, but I think, like, you understand what I mean when I say that. Like, this one is definitely more specific to people who enjoy, like, unlikable characters uh, than, like, some other books that I've spoken about. But if that's your thing, it's awesome. It's so funny. It's Sad Janet, and it's by Lucy Bridge. And now, after all that, we are going to hear from another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high-stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players, but what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must-read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Underlined. Haven't read a Natasha Preston thriller yet? We dare you to try. She's known for her line of chilling young adult suspense novels like The Cellar and The Fear. The New York Times and USA Today bestselling author excels at putting fear into the hearts of her readers. So her newest book, titled The Dare, is about five friends whose senior prank goes very, very wrong. This is the perfect graduation season read for thriller fans who can handle a good scare. The Dare is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more about it at getunderlined.com. So again, this young adult thriller is about five friends with a prank that goes wrong. There are dark secrets, a twisty plot, and creepy I know what you did last summer vibes. So if you, you know, it's graduation season, you want to revel in that, but like make it scary. You know what I mean? Pick up The Dare by Natasha Preston. And thanks again to Underline for sponsoring this episode. Okay. What do you have next for us? All right. So my next pick is I'll Be the One by Lila Lee. And this is a really fun and sweet um, YA about a Korean-American teen named Sky Shin. And she is unapologetically fat, and she wants to become a K-pop star. So it's set in Southern California, and in the beginning you meet Sky, who has been a dancer and a singer her entire life, and she is beyond excited when the opportunity arises for her to audition for a new TV series called You're My Shining Star, which is kind of like K-pop America's Got Talent. Um, You get to audition. It's set in the U.S., but it's giving American teens and young adults the opportunity to become K-pop stars. And so she auditions, and she auditions for both the dance and the vocal sections, and which is really risky move because 
she can be disqualified for either at any chance. Um, and so it's like double the chance for winning, but double the chance for failure. But she's really good. And she she auditions and she just blows most of the judges away. Like they are extremely impressed with how good she is, except for this one judge who is extremely fat phobic. And she basically looks Sky in the face and says, well, because you're fat, that means like you must be lazy and not work hard. And that's total BS. And it just makes Sky even more determined to succeed. So she's in the competition and she finds like it's really hard, not just for her, but in general, it's a really tough competition. But also the fat phobia is super duper intense. And one day on camera, she is like exposed to just like this horrible, you know, other contestant being awful about her weight. And in that moment, the only person who stands up for her is this Korean model superstar named Henry, who is competing in dance. And everybody's like super excited that he's in this reality show and he's in this competition. Um, and they all want to be his friend. And he like is the only one who stands up for Sky. And he comes to her rescue. And she's kind of like a little bit wary, but she's also like appreciative that like, hey, at least somebody is standing up for me, even though she's definitely got that covered herself. And so they kind of become friends. And now Sky has to deal with like the pressure of the competition and people commenting on her weight. But then she also has this confusing relationship with a superstar and all these people who are like mad at her for being friends with the model. So I just really love this book. Um, if you haven't seen the cover yet, I highly urge you to like look it up, click on it. It's so joyful and playful and bright. And it just really captures how this book feels. We've had a lot of really great books that tackle fat phobia and um, talk about body image in YA, but I, there are very few that I can think of that are as, like, fun as this one, and also, like, they have a character for whom, like, you know, weight loss is not a topic of conversation she's even willing to have because she truly loves herself for who she is. She knows that she's active, she knows that she's healthy, and she doesn't care what other people think. And I don't know much about K-pop, although I know that it's gotten hugely popular in Western media within the last few years. So it was really fun to kind of learn a bit more about K-pop culture through this book. If I have any complaints, it's that during the dancing and singing scenes, like I wish that I could see Sky perform as well as read the descriptions. I think that um, the author did a really great job of describing those performances. But I would also, I was like, man, I want to see people sing and dance. She sounds amazing. Uh, so this would make a really excellent like movie or TV show because of that like visual performance aspect of it. But it was also really interesting to read about how body image and fat phobia were handled and looked at through the lens of Korean culture, uh, especially since Sky not only has to deal with like the show's producers who are all Korean and the judges who are Korean, but then like her own family's perceptions of her weight and what she can and can't do. So overall, it was an excellent book. And oh, and I can't even believe that I forgot to mention this, but also Sky is bisexual. So that's also really awesome because it's just, you know, another added layer to her identity. So if you want a really great summer fun read about a bisexual, fat and proud singer dancer who's just totally amazing, I highly recommend I'll Be the One by Lila Lee. All right. Uh, my last pick is. Sadly, a book that I have not read yet. I did have a few titles that I was checking out for the show that have since been moved to later dates. 
Probably August 4th. I don't know if we've talked about this yet, but somehow publishers just all decided that August 4th was <laughs> going to be the day that they're going to release books. And there was even like a thing in the New York Times last week about this, about how now when August 4th rolls around and like August rolls around, like there are going to be hundreds more books coming out on those days than usual. And so I had some picked out, but they got moved, including one that I have, I have since been told includes a character who... Uh, has romantic feelings towards snails, which just sounds interesting. So I think I have a little more time to process that <laughs> before I actually read it. Um, but if that's your if that's your thing, n- no shame. Just you know, just unusual. Mentioned it. Um, so my last book is actually one that I heard about online a few weeks ago that I had never heard of before. Like somebody online was like, "I just read this book called The Posthumous Memoirs of Bras Cubas." And it's by Joaquin Maria Machado Jacis. And the, tr- the book that I'm going to be reading is translated by Margaret Jewell Costa and Robin Patterson. And so I looked this book up and there's actually an edition that's coming out from Live Right today. But there was a Penguin Classic edition that came out just two weeks ago. So apparently this book is really hot right now. And I, like I said, I've never heard of it, but it was written in 1881 or published in 1881. It's experimental fiction. It is like he's hailed as a genius of 20th century South American fiction. Obviously, this was written in 1881, but uh, apparently this was his first work and he went on to have many more. They say in the description of this book that it launched modernist fiction. So that's like an important title to read. So I'm really looking forward to, to checking it out. It's about a guy named Bras Kubas who is talking about his life. Uh, and the very first thing that I'm reading, he apparently has already died and is now telling his story, which would make sense because it's called The Posthumous Memoirs. But he talks about like how he was a young brat and he used to torment the servants at his home and how he was an unfaithful lover, how he had political aspirations. I was reading some more about this online and it said that this was an influence on um, James Joyce and Ulysses, on Gabriel Garcia Marquez, on Salman Rushdie. Apparently Susan Sontag was a huge fan of this novel. And I was looking at reviews on Goodreads. And someone said, like, if this book was published today for the first time, like, you would never know that it wasn't written today, that it's just a gem. And it has so many positive reviews online that I was like, well, I have to read this. So this is what I am going to check out. It is The Posthumous Memoirs of Bras Cubas by Joaquim Maria Marchado Jacis. Awesome. So my final pick is The Margot Affair by Sene Lemoine. And this is a debut novel by a French-Japanese author who I believe now lives in the U.S. Um, But I was really excited to pick up this book because I have a minor in French literature, like, you know, ages ago in college. That's what I studied. And since then, I've really not read many books set in France. So this was really kind of exciting and interesting. Um, This book is about Margot, who is about 16 or 17 at the start of the novel. And she has grown up in Paris with her mother, Anouk, who is this, I would hesitate to say super famous, but somewhat well-known stage actress. And she was in a couple of movies. Her mother is like just well-known enough that people are probably like, oh, yeah, that person. But her mom's not like this mega famous superstar. 
However, her father is a famous French politician, and nobody knows that he is her father because he has a wife and a and children that the public know about, and Margot and her mother are essentially his second family. So Margot's kind of always known that this is how their family is and that her dad has a wife and children and she doesn't meet them and that's just okay that's how life is but as she gets older she's kind of struggles with accepting this because she struggles with her relationship with her mom she always feels like her mom's super distant she wishes her father were around more and then when she's a teen one day her father says you know what i'm going to like officially and legally acknowledge you as my child and then he doesn't seem to follow up on that and that really hurts margot so after citing her father's wife in their neighborhood and seeing how it affects her mother margot has this chance encounter with a journalist after one of her mother's plays and she kind of strikes up this conversation with the journalist rather innocently but in the conversation she realizes that like she totally has the power to expose her father for having this second family which is herself and her mother and she kind of flirts with that power for a little bit but then she ultimately reveals her father's identity to the journalist that she's kind of gotten to know. And for what it's worth, the journalist seems like he's, you know, not out for a scoop or looking to take advantage of Margot and her mother, but he's just curious. He's He kind of wants to know. And so when he learns that Margot's father is this famous politician, he doesn't, like, immediately rush off to, you know, expose this. Uh, he just kind of keeps talking to Margot, and then finally Margot asks him, can you leak it to the press? But can, you know, you have somebody else do it. So basically it doesn't get back that I'm the one who told people. And so that's exactly what happens is the news it comes out and Margot thinks that like, you know, okay, my father's going to finally have to acknowledge me and maybe he will even leave his wife and like actually be with um, her mother. But of course, that's not what happens. Her father denies even like having any relationship with Margot and Anu. And Margot has to learn firsthand that the consequences of her actions are not always what she intends. So if you know me at all, if you've been listening to any of the books I recommend or follow me online, you know that I'm really into YA. And so I read a lot of books told from the point of view of teens. This is told from the point of view of a teen, but it's a literary novel and it's, you know, for adult audiences. Um, So there are moments when Margot definitely sounds like she's an adult kind of reflecting on her life as a teen. And it's a lot more introspective than I think your average um, teenager. But that's that's totally great. I listened to the audiobook and I really just enjoyed drifting from scene to scene as Margot takes the time to explain her family situation, um, talk about past events and like pivotal moments and memories with her father, her friendships, her really interesting relationships with her parents. You know, her mom is not always a happy person because she wants to be this famous actress, but she's got this teenage daughter. And you can tell that, you know, her mother, I don't think necessarily means to be cruel, but she's just trying to prepare Margot for a life where, you know, she might be rejected and not always get what she wants. And Margot doesn't always see that, but she loves her father who 
you know, when it comes down to it, also rejects Margot. So it's not super plot driven, but the fallout of the exposure of her father's second family is really interesting. And it definitely propels you through the rest of the book, even if it does take some time to build up to. Uh, I just found this book really fascinating. So if you like books about complex family dynamics and like secret siblings and second families, like for whatever reason, that's kind of my catnip. This is just great. Um, And also Margot talks a lot about food, like some of the descriptions of the food that she eats and like really pivotal scenes have you know, food uh, as kind of like the grounding point. And I actually went onto the author's website and there's a section on her website called What Margot Ate with recipes. And that excited me so much more than it probably should have. But I'm so jazzed about this. I can't wait to try some of these recipes. They look really great. So yeah, I wouldn't say this is a food book, but it has some really great food descriptions and bonus recipes. So um, that is The Margot Affair by Sine Lemoine. Okay. Those are our new books. What are you going to read next? Um, so next, I think I'm going to dive into Catherine House by Elizabeth Thomas. I actually started this a couple of days ago, but then I had to switch gears and wrap up some reading for today. So I'm actually really excited to get back into that book because I think I read like the first 50 pages and I was like, what the heck is going on? This this is so fascinating. I, I don't know what the school is all about. I got to keep reading. So yeah, I'm excited about it. Awesome. I am definitely going to check out the Brass Kubas book, but Yesterday, I was uh, working on a TBR subscription, which is our recommendation service, our personalized recommendation service through Book Riot, and was reminded, like, I've read The Gone Away World by Nick Harkaway, like, many, many, many times, but all of a sudden, I was like, I have to read this next again. Like, it's been calling to me. I haven't read it in a couple of years. I just love this book so much, and I feel like we used to talk about Nick Harkaway books all the time at Book Riot, and I would just love to continue to do that because he's so awesome. So I'm definitely going to read The Gone Away World, especially like over the next few days while I just hang out in bed and do nothing and like recharge. But maybe a a hardcover copy. I don't know if you've ever seen the book, but the hardcover copies, I own seven of them. (laughs) I'm not lying. Uh, And six of them are U.S. editions, and they have a fluorescent pink fuzzy cover. So maybe I'll read the hardcover one, like treat myself. I've only ever read the paperback because I've been afraid of like touching the the fuzzy ones, but I have seven, six of them. So I'm just going to do it. (laughs) Yes, that sounds extravagant and wonderful. And I love being able to just like have a comfort read on a cozy weekend. Yes. It's best. It's just, you know, if you had said to me 10 years ago, you are going to love to reread all kinds of books that you've read and not just The Secret History, I'd be like, (laughs) pull the other one. Like, there's no time to read, you know, books again when I have so many that I haven't read. But now it's just like, yes, I need this. (laughs) I'm in my 40s now. I understand the necessity for (laughs) self-care. Yes. And it's totally true because making time to reread books is definitely self-care. Yeah. I used to reread books a lot. And then I started working more for Book Riot and I totally fell into that whole like, oh my gosh, I got to read everything and keep going. And lately, I've been trying to make time once a month to reread an old favorite. And it's just the best. Ooh, yeah, it's a good time. So that is all for today. Thank you, all you glorious humans who tuned in. Thank you to Tirza. Thank you to our sponsors. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com or find us online. Tirza hangs out on Twitter at 
Tears Are Price. It's T-I-R-Z-A-H-P-R-I-C-E. I mostly hang out on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. Uh, and if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today or more books in general, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes, except for that one about the snails, <laughs> uh, at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.